My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Kevin Skerritt. The language of austerity is not necessarily broadly understood in Canada, outside of a narrow segment of people who place themselves in one way or another on the left. Yet it is a concise way to name a cluster of political phenomena that are central to much of what is happening in this country and that are having profoundly harmful impacts on millions of lives. Phenomena that a much more significant chunk of the population care about and oppose, however they name them, from cuts, to schemes to exploit migrants, to environmental deregulation, to privatization, to attacks on workers, to much more. And whatever language we use to name these attacks on ordinary people, it's no secret that, outside of Quebec at least, we do not yet have the models and tools for action that might be able to successfully oppose the austerity agenda in its entirety. And, without completely dismissing them, it's important to recognize that the conventional repertoire of actions by mainstream trade unions and parties that at least nominally aspire to social democracy have not been effective in presenting meaningful alternatives to austerity, and in fact at times have been actively complicit in reproducing narratives that claim that there is no alternative. Kevin Skerritt is a trade unionist, a grassroots activist in Ottawa, and a member of the group Solidarity Against Austerity. The group emerged out of organizing that happened in 2012, after a loose network of activists planned a successful May Day demonstration in Ottawa. They all recognized the urgent need to be mobilizing against austerity, and also the limits in the existing possibilities for doing so. After repeating their success in getting people into the streets on May Day in 2013, they started to have serious conversations about what sustained, ongoing anti-austerity organizing and the organizational form to support that might look like. And they've been at it ever since, organizing educational events and forums, pulling together demonstrations, supporting strike actions, and much more. They recognize that what they've been able to do so far is small and limited compared to the scope of the problems that they're working against, but they see it as a starting point that they hope will be able to lead to at least one kind of genuinely effective, politically independent, non-sectarian response to the urgent conflux of crises impacting the lives of so many ordinary people under the banner, named or not, of austerity. Skerritt spoke with me about austerity, about the origins of the group, about the actions it has taken, and about the ways it hopes to grow. We spoke by Skype to phone from Ottawa. My name is Kevin Skerritt. In my paid work life, I'm a research officer with CUPE, Canadian Union of Public Employees, and I work on pensions. It's kind of my full-time assignment as a researcher. And I've been working for CUPE for 21 years. Outside of my work life, I am involved locally in several projects, several organizations. Probably the primary one for the last several years has been this organization, Solidarity Against Austerity, which I sometimes refer to as SAA. 
which is an organization that came together in early 2012, a number of trade union and movement activists who mostly knew each other from various previous projects, just galvanized the sense that we needed something in Ottawa that would be locally grounded, that would be an attempt to mobilize people against this intensifying austerity agenda that we see in Ottawa at the federal level, the federal government level, but of course we see it playing out and implemented at all levels of government and in workplaces. And it was a bit of an expression of collective frustration with the failure or the the limitations in responding politically to that agenda, in particular from the labor movement, but really from anybody. There was no fight being put up at the time. It felt that way, certainly here in Ottawa. So the first thing that was done was a declaration that we want to mobilize people into the streets on May Day 2012. And we wanted to have like a mass demonstration against austerity. And we did that. We had more than a thousand people in front of the Prime Minister's office on May Day 2012. This was like a very hastily thrown together thing. And a cluster of us, not everybody from the original group, but a number of us that were involved in that, stayed organizing, continued it, even though it was originally a one-off project to do one demonstration. We ended up continuing to organize under that banner and under that label. And in the three years since then, the organization came to be a bit more structured and more of an ongoing organization that has actually built a bit of a network of activists that are continuing to want to build that up. And we're feeling like this locally based organization is playing an important role. So given that the language of austerity doesn't tend to be all that widely used and understood in the Canadian context, talk a little bit about what austerity is and about why it's important to organize in opposition to it. In the UK and in parts of Europe, for people on the left to identify austerity as a target, as a descriptor of one aspect or many aspects of the problems that we're confronting, is more familiar and it's more widely used and understood. Whereas in North America, you're right, this is a terminology that is less familiar. I think it's an important bit of terminology. I think there's something useful about it, despite the fact that it actually requires a bit of explanation. Here's why I would say so. We have a tendency in North America to use language that is a bit muddled and a bit unclear, a bit vague. We talk about, you know, a need for democracy, a need for reform. And the mainstream political language that we use tends to avoid sharp distinctions. It tends to avoid recognition of the class structure of our society, and it avoids talking about the systemic nature of our economic structures. And when we talk about what we are facing, and in particular, the strategies that governments have been using, particularly in the period since the financial crisis, I would say that it is helpful to say that they're pursuing an austerity agenda because it is an agenda that cuts across party lines. It is essentially the agenda that the dominant economic forces and institutions and classes of our society are demanding. They're demanding austerity. And what I mean by that is they're saying that there are economic problems, there's public finance problems, which I think are themselves politically constructed. But there are also actual problems of economic growth and profitability. 
the capitalism that we've had in many ways is proving itself to have been exhausted. And there's this desperate search to regenerate economic growth and profitability. And rather than pursuing that in a way that would be socially positive, in a way that focuses on insisting on fuller employment and maintaining the somewhat redistributive policy structures and governmental structures that were fought for and won in the post-war period, austerity is turning that around and it's saying, look, we need to restore profitability. We need to restore economic growth and the profitability of our capitalist class, our business classes. And the way we do that is by pushing down the social wage, pushing down workers' wages, their social claims that get established through the welfare states, through public education, public health care, broad public services, and so forth. So that's a project. I would describe it as a class project that comes at the expense of workers and communities and the real people of our society. That's how I would describe austerity. I associate that with an analysis of our capitalist economic structure. It's a structure where ownership and control is concentrated in the hands of an elite, and that strongly influences our political structures. And so for me, to the extent that that is at all reflective of what's going on, we need to build and rebuild a counter-movement that will take that on, that will recognize that's what's going on and take it on. Because the standard political responses that we've had on the social democratic left, and I would say in the labor movement, are kind of spent forces. What we're seeing in particular with our political party structures, like the New Democratic Party, is an increasing accommodation to those demands and those imperatives, to the need for wage restraint, for compensation restraint, the need for things like neoliberal trade agreements which is a key part of the austerity agenda to insist that capital must be allowed to flow in and out of countries like Canada unrestricted. And what that does, of course, is intensify the competitive dynamic between workers, between countries, in a way that actually makes the old social democratic vision harder and harder to maintain. And if we have parties like the NDP saying, well, yeah, that's just the way of the world, that's what we need to do, I reject that totally. I think we need to say, no, 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 these things are part of the problem. We need to uh, actually reimagine our politics in a way that's going to really represent the interests of workers, of communities, of people who are victims of these processes, migrant workers, First Nations communities, like the whole span of people who are being targeted by these policies need to figure out a new and a different way to organize in order to build movements that are capable of building and demanding a, a different way of organizing our political and economic life. Tell me more about the founding and the early trajectory of the organization. The small group, probably a dozen people, maybe 15 people that first got together in a room back, I think, February 2012. It was mostly people that knew each other from several different political projects and recent campaign activities. There were a number of us that were involved in a brief experiment in Ottawa that was attempting to build what we called a workers' assembly. And in some ways, we were copying a model of something that had been built in Toronto, which they called the Greater Toronto Workers' Assembly. Frankly, the thing kind of fell apart. But a number of the same people continued to do different kinds of organizing. When the Occupy movement happened in September, October 2011, a number of the same people wanted to figure out ways to either be actively involved with that Occupy movement here in Ottawa or 
myself and a number of others got involved in a way bridging the organized labor movement with the park that had been occupied in Ottawa and the organizers of the Occupy movement locally. And another grouping, somewhat overlapping, also started to get very seriously organized in supporting a really important strike and lockout of CPW, the postal workers. You may remember in 2011, there was a very important and quite militant action by postal workers facing terrible concessionary attacks by Canada Post. And we actually organized a support campaign for that struggle in Ottawa, and there were some other cities that were doing likewise, of non-postal workers. So some of the people involved in what we call People for Postal Workers and that Occupy project and the Workers' Assembly, it was a, a lot of the same handful of people that are essentially involved. And we just said, look what's happening at the federal level. In Ottawa, there is a very large sector of the workforce that is employed in the federal public service. And the attacks on public service workers has been the favorite target for the Harper government, particularly after the majority government elected in 2011. And the public service unions, and I have many friends and colleagues who are involved at different levels, they have struggled in a very serious way to respond to those attacks. And so a group of us agreed, this is really important. In Ottawa, it is important that we figure out ways to politically respond and mobilize people against this horrifying agenda coming out of the Harper government. And so, yeah, we called a meeting mass mobilization in the streets was our big idea. It wasn't exactly a novel idea, but I think it worked out very well. A number of us were pretty encouraged and thinking, yeah, you know what? We need to continue to talk about this, to create space for discussion independent of the institutional structures of the trade unions and the NDP and the, you know, the organized left. To a significant degree, we threw ourselves into this mobilization on May Day. And then we had, I think, one meeting after May Day, sort of a post-mortem and then, frankly, the group that did that went home. And I think it was about six months later, many of us who had been involved in 2012 started communicating with one another again, saying, look, maybe we should do it again. And so really, step number two was simply reinitiating the same project to do another mobilization for May 1st in 2013. And we pulled it off again. So we were encouraged. And after we were able to pull it off again in 2013, we had a much more serious meeting a few weeks later. We had a discussion and a proposal came forward that said, let's actually declare that we're going to continue organizing as Solidarity Against Austerity under that banner. And we started to build different working groups and working committees. We struck one group that still exists today called Workers Action, which is like a subcommittee of the organization that is focused specifically on worker organizing, not just trade union organizing, but organizing across all the unions and among non-union workers, talking about the problems of precarious work, the kinds of work patterns that young people face, that migrant workers face. And then there's been some other projects, educational projects, communications project, get a website going, that's been challenging. You know, other things to basically breathe some life into local organizing against this agenda. And I'd say what unifies us and what makes us unique is not just one politics. This is, I would say, sort of non-sectarian. We're not attached to one political tradition on the left. We're not just Trotskyists or anarchists or communists, you know, members of the CP or socialists, although we've got some people from all of those different traditions. And even some of the organized left organizations are actually involved in this. But no one of them dominates. 
And I'd say a lot of people are people like me that don't have a history in those left traditions and organizations. And so we've been able to craft a kind of balance and forge a broad consensus around a certain political formulation. And just to accelerate forward, we characterize the organization as anti-austerity. Most of the people involved would probably consider themselves to be some kind of socialist or some sort of left activist informed by a class analysis, but I would say a class analysis that wants to integrate a feminist critique, an ecological critique, an anti-racist critique into movement building and movement organizing. And in some ways that culminated more recently in October of 2014 at a meeting of the organization. We got into a bit of a political discussion and people said, look, we don't have a consensus about many issues. But one of the things that we do have a consensus around is that we are actually fighting capitalism itself. We are anti-capitalists. We may have different senses and understandings of what that means, but that is our actual political basis of unity. We see austerity as an expression of the capitalist system that itself needs to be at least challenged. And we need to talk about building alternatives to that existing structure that we've inherited. And remarkably, when that was proposed, that we clarify that and put it on paper, that is the basis of unity of our organization. We had unanimity on it. And we've, you know, continued to organize since. We organized another mobilization on May Day this year in 2015. We've started to do some connecting with organizers in the Filipino and uh, migrant workers communities had a couple of public forums over the last few months, making some new and different connections. And I'm very modest about this. It's not like we've got anything figured out. We've got all kinds of problems and weaknesses. But I do feel good that we have been able to do a kind of organizing to launch some independent political organizing of a sort that had not been happening before 2012. There's a long way to go. We don't have enough young people involved, like a lot of organizations on the left. We do not have gender balance in our composition or our leadership layers, and not the kind of cultural diversity that would reflect the community. I want to be very honest about that. We've got a lot of work to do, but I think we've got something interesting started. Tell me more about the structure and the decision-making practices of the group. The question about structure, decision-making did over time become quite important because, as you I'm sure know, a lot of us who get politically involved care a lot about democracy, but we don't necessarily immediately agree on what it looks like to practice democratic decision-making and process within our own organizations. In the first couple of years, up until last year, actually, SAA followed a kind of a conventional approach to grassroots decision-making structure, which is a very wide-open consensus model, almost to the point of an Occupy-style pure consensus. I guess it was 2013, we did establish what we called a coordinating committee, which previously hadn't existed. But we were careful initially to say, well, that coordinating committee is really just a logistical committee. They'll organize meetings and they wouldn't actually have any kind of representative or political or you know any kind of authority to make decisions. It would just be logistical. If I fast forward to different points last year, those initial practices and approaches did become a source of some difficulty and some frustration. I think there was a need to have some sort of political leadership established. And there was a clear interest in moving from a pure consensus model of decision making to something where there would need to be some sort of stability, some sort of shift towards something that would say, you know, 
we can't have somebody walking into their first ever meeting and looking to block a consensus on an issue of importance. And so we started to establish some different rules that would say we aim to achieve consensus on key decisions, but really if you're going to be involved in blocking a vote or blocking a decision, or I would say really engaging in a serious way in a decision, you really have to have been part of several recent meetings. You have to have a record of actually contributing to the organization. So that started a dialogue that even continues today about what kind of decision-making would be ideal, would be the best one to use. And in the last six months, kind of related to decision-making, but also structure, the group decided to begin, it sort of was related to that political question of our analysis and understanding of capitalism. It was agreed that we should strike a special committee to explore, we we call it the politics project. There is a serious dedicated focus on working to elaborate our sense of our political basis of unity. And related to that, we're having a discussion about our organizational structure, decision-making. We have not been a formal membership-based group. There's not a membership fee and a certain voting right or whatever that gets attached to membership. But I would say as the organization has gotten older, more mature, more ambitious, there's an increasing interest and support for the idea of becoming a bit more formal, actually establishing a more formal membership structure, and possibly looking at variations on voting and decision-making systems that are more common within a membership-based structure. That discussion continues, and I'll be interested in how that goes. I've come to recognize that if you're going to have something ongoing that you're going to expect people to commit to, it needs to have some stability. It needs to have some capable, I would say, leadership, although, you know, we're all a little uncomfortable with the concept these days. So respectful and democratic leadership. But, you know, some people are going to carry some of the work and demonstrate some political leadership. And I think that's okay. And tell me about some of the activities beyond street mobilizations that the group has been involved in. There's been an effort to organize public fora, basically educational type events of a sort that aren't being organized already, that are addressing these sort of political questions that I'm talking about, including the one last night where we had the Scottish activist speaking. She was active in what she called the Radical Independence Campaign, which was part of the Scottish referendum campaign last September, which then spilled into the general election in the UK that took place in May. And she's a leader of what is called the Scottish Left Project, which is essentially an anti-austerity platform that is now organizing in Scottish politics. So that's the kind of independent left political organizing that is happening in Scotland. It's happening in the UK. It's happening in many parts of Europe. We hear a lot about Syriza and Podemos and you know, other interesting, exciting developments in, in other parts of the world. We don't have much like that to point to in Canada, and I think it's a serious problem. But little organizations like this one that I'm talking about in Ottawa and others like Solidarity Halifax in Halifax and We Are Oshawa and there's a group in London, there are some groups in Toronto, different groups like this are talking about what would it take to build a presence, build an independent organization like that on the ground not just locally, but ideally, at some point, we'd get mature and smart and strategic enough to realize we've got to connect these things together, particularly in Canada outside of Quebec. In Quebec, the story is very different. They have Quebec Solidaire. The political situation is quite different in Quebec. I think we've got a lot to learn from our friends in Quebec, and some of us are involved in dialogue with Quebec Solidaire and projects like that in Quebec. 
These are the kinds of activities that we think make a contribution to the political life here. We would like to be more ambitious to connect different movements, movement activities, and organizing together. There's some important anti-pipeline work that's happening locally. There's some really important indigenous activism, indigenous-led activism, and indigenous solidarity activism that's happening in Ottawa. In particular, one example is around a, a real estate development that we're seeing unfolding. And that kind of movement organizing is not very coordinated and not very well connected. I'd say one of our goals and ambitions is to try to get into dialogue to involve ourselves and support those things, but also to connect it together, not necessarily all under one umbrella, but some way to be more mutually supportive. So that's the kind of thing that we're trying to do and that I think over time we'd like to get better at doing. You mentioned earlier that one of the things that you wanted to be doing with this group was to avoid some of the sectarianism that has been so destructive to various movements and left organizing efforts in the past. What are some of the things that you're doing in the group to try and avoid reproducing sectarianism in what you do? It's a very, very important issue. I'm not sure that I could point to specific measures that we've taken. Again, we almost have the good fortune of not having any one of the existing kind of left groups, I would even say sectarian style left groups of the old school that are so active and such a force in Ottawa that they might dominate. I think collectively, we have a shared understanding and a shared goal of kind of forge new ways of operating that actually draw lessons from the old sectarian models of the past that have largely failed, or at least were a serious source of weakness. Not interested in rehashing the old, you know, one left group bashes the other or tries to insist that they're the only ones that have it figured out and get all hung up on these things. We've got to put a lot of those really problematic practices and attitudes behind us. I think in Ottawa, we see an appetite to do that. And certainly when you verbalize that, a lot of people will nod and say, yeah, that's right. But it's still going to be a learning process. And even what we mean by that, it can be debated, right? Sometimes people can operate in a way that's personally sectarian. In other words, there's personality clashes that have to be overcome. So I feel in some ways that we're into a period of experimenting with new and different forms of left organization and left-wing organizing. And I don't think we have necessarily any model or pattern to reproduce or to share, except for just being explicit and being clear and open that we recognize some of those problems of the past and we want to avoid them in the future and figure a way to draw activists together, whether they're in organizations or not, draw people together, regroup together in projects that we can agree on with the ultimate goal of actually building a powerful movement and a powerful organization that can really start to become dangerous to the project that we're wanting to resist and wanting to overcome. We see that starting to happen in other parts of the world. We haven't yet really seen it in Canada except for small expressions of resistance at a very localized level. But I'm actually, I'm hopeful. You have been listening to my interview with Kevin Skerritt of the Ottawa-based group Solidarity Against Austerity. To learn more about their work, search for Solidarity Against Austerity on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to TalkingRadical.ca and click on the link marked Radio. 
That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.